Thanks, Steve. You want to take this table away for me? Yeah, my bad. Doesn't he look California today? Those legs need a little sun, though, buddy. I'm just saying. It's a little, uh, like, glaring. And, you know, that 90-degree thing, next service shouldn't bother you at all, really, right? Um, so welcome, everybody. Great to see you here today. Like Steve said, our next service is going to be pretty, pretty hot, and so glad to see you here online. Welcome, online church. So good to be together again. And folks back there in the cars, great to see you this morning. You know, we sang our first song, and it said something about one of the lines was, God, may your fire come down. And I'm like, oh, no, no more. Like, there's enough... Enough fire coming down right now, right? So it's great to be together, and today we are going to wrap up our series on Jesus for Everyone. Uh, we're moving today. Uh, don't ask me why I picked the hottest day of the year to move, but we're moving. We have no AC in either house, uh, so that ought to be fun. But my sons are ready to roll, uh, so we're going to do that after church. I picked the hottest day of the year to move out of the house we built in 2003 when we moved to Linden, and it's a lot of work to sell a house isn't it? Those of you who have sold a house, it's a lot of work getting ready to move. And at some point in the process, you've got to commit, don't you? You have to commit. At some point, you're past that line where you say, okay, we might stay here or we might not, right? There comes that point where you pick a day, you have to end your services, you know, to utilities. I did that on Saturday. You have to end your cable, your power, your gas, your water, and you pick a day and bam, you're done and you're gone, right? And you move your service to your new location. So after July 20, I'll never again receive service at Bradley Meadows Lane. It's a weird feeling to know we've been there 17 years and never again will we receive service at that house where we live. Never again will we live there. I'll need to be all in to my new location, won't I? I will need to be all in to my new location if I want things to go well and go smoothly. Like I want to get my mail. And so Saturday, I filled out the mail forwarding thing with the USPS, change of address, all that stuff. No longer will I receive my mail at Bradley Meadows Lane. I mean, it's it's a weird feeling to know that I'll never again receive mail there, hopefully, right? Everything will be forwarded. (laughs) Everything should be forwarded to my new address, I hope. So what I'm saying is this. I'm committed to my to my new home, and I can't live there for about six or seven months because it's a mess. We're remodeling. It's a 103-year-old farmhouse. There's shiplap on the inside walls, three layers of wallpaper. I'm tearing out walls. I'm moving walls. It's crazy. So we can't live there, but I'm committed. I'm committed to this home. And at some point, you know, with, with the home you're moving to, you dive in as well. At some point, you say, okay, we're going to make a plan, and we're going to do it. And, you know, you're tearing off the shiplap, and when you get the shiplap off, what comes pouring out of the walls all over the floor but blown-in insulation, right? So you have to test it for asbestos. Unfortunately, it wasn't. But still, it's a mess. It's got to be cleaned up and disposed. And then there's rewiring, and then there's replumbing and moving walls and repurposing spaces. And then we moved our hallway, and the chimney is right in the middle of the hallway. So now I've got to take out a chimney. The old... Living room and dining room is becoming the master bedroom. So there's that. Now, we could have just drawn up the plans, looked at them every day for the rest of our life, maybe painted a few walls but said, nah, it's too much. I'm not going to commit. But at some point, and here's what I want you to get today, and many of you are here already with Jesus, but at some point you've got to move 
from believing you can do it to actually committing, jumping in and doing it. I call it kingdom first. Kingdom first living. And, you know, remodeling a house and moving reminds me of life with Christ. It reminds me of life as a follower. It's messy. Change is hard. Who loves to change? Anybody? I don't love to change. I embrace change because I know it's good. And I love it when I see the fruit of the change. But, but man, change can be hard. So what I want to say to you today as we close this message out, Jesus has something to say to us about taking our relationship with him from the believing stage to the following stage. From the believing stage to the discipleship stage. And I don't know if you know this, but there are believers, but then there are followers. There are believers, but then there are disciples. Think about when the jailer, remember when Paul and Silas were in jail and God rocked the jail? It was the first jailhouse rock. And God rocked the jail and they got out and the jailer was going to take his own life. Remember that? Because he was so worried about getting in trouble. And the thing he asked Paul was, what must I do to be saved? And Paul kept it really simple. I want you to get this. This is, this is a believer. Paul made it very simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So like drawing up plans for a new house, like getting an architect to, to draw those plans for you, like that, believing is just the jumping off point. Believing is just the point where you say yes to Jesus and you let him architect your life and you let him draw your life and you let him make some changes and move some walls change the plumbing and electricity you know that's what believing is but then there is following jesus then there is following jesus then there is discipleship and what i want to bring to you today is what jesus had to say about following him because i think most of us here today and most of us online are believers so we're saved by faith in his grace not by works lest any man should boast right But the next step Jesus wants us to take is to follow him. And again, many of you have done this and are doing this. This is what Pastor Steve talked about last week. He talked about following and how that means leaving things behind. Remember Levi the tax collector had to leave his life, leave his job. And the way you live will change and your motivations will change when you're a follower. And the desire to follow outweighs the old desires, the old feelings that you may have had about life and about what you want. And as a follower, not just a believer, but as a follower, you begin to want what God wants. That's the big thing. And again, I call this kingdom first thinking. Jesus, what do you want to do before before it becomes about what do I want? It becomes about, Jesus, what do you want to do with me and through me? You begin to want what God wants even more. So I want to unpack that for you today as we close this series with some of the strongest words that Jesus had to say to the people that he spoke to. So open your Bible this morning to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, just a few verses. And listen to what Jesus had to say about being not just a believer, but being a follower. Starting in verse 23. He said to all, notice he didn't just say this to a few. He said this to everybody, the whole crowd. If anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow. Remember those three things. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man or a woman 
if he or she gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man, or I, Jesus says, be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So I know many of us ask this question a lot. We ask, what does Jesus want from me? Or or we say it to him, Jesus, what do you want from me? What do you want of me? And I would say it's really wrapped up in these few verses we just read. It's pretty simple but incredibly difficult. But if you want to know what Jesus wants of you, here are the things to think about today. And the first one is this. It is to deny myself. Deny myself. And and that's a progression that happens in our life as we realize more and more how much Jesus loves us and all that he's done for us. Our response becomes greater as time goes on with Christ. Now, it doesn't have to, doesn't have to take a long time. You can be all in the day you receive Christ. Some people are. But for many people, it's this slower road of progression where we learn to deny ourselves over time. So let me, let me unpack that a little bit. What does Jesus want me to deny myself of? And there's probably more, but there's a few things I isolated this morning. And the first thing I'd like to say is I think Jesus wants me to, to deny of the things I would still like to do that are sinful. <laughs> what do you think? You think so? I think Jesus wants me to deny myself those things that I would still like to do, but I can't anymore or I won't anymore because they are sinful. I'm different than I was because now I follow Jesus. I don't do the same things that I used to do. And for someone here this morning or someone online, this is what you're going to take away. You're going to realize that that thing you do and still love to do is something that Jesus wants you to offload because he knows it's not the best thing for you. He knows it's causing you destruction in your life or in your relationships. So Jesus is saying to you today, I want you to stop doing that thing you do, that thing you love to do in response to my love. Think about this story. When Jesus rescued the woman, remember the woman who was being stoned because she was caught in adultery? When Jesus rescued her and all the stoners walked away, Yeah, I said that. What did he tell the woman? Go and sin no more. He's saying to her, look, I've offered you, you know, no condemnation here. And all of your accusers have walked away. So the one thing I want from you, lady, is to go and to sin no more. To stop doing that thing that you've done. You know, all sin really is taking something that could be good... And doing something destructive with it. I mean, think about what this woman was doing. She was taking sex, which is arguably one of the most beautiful gifts that God ever gave us. And even represents his relationship with his church. We call it marriage. But sex outside of marriage, pornography, fantasy, adultery, homosexuality is destructive. And Jesus knows that. So he tells this lady, because this is destructive and because it is not honoring to God who made you, I want you to go and sin no more. Now, not everybody struggles with sexual issues, but I would say it's probably the leverage point for our culture and our world. That is what they're appealing to in this generation, particularly. Our generation is being caught in sexual issues. The thing that God designed and created to be good. 
is being used for destructive purposes. So the, the things I used to do that are sin, Jesus wants me to deny myself. But then also, I believe Jesus wants me to deny myself the things that I like to do that make me self-reliant. Self-reliant. You see, I believe that what Jesus wants from you and from me more than anything else after we're saved is he wants us to depend on him. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to rely on him. And self-reliancy is self-centered. It's living in a self-protective and a, you know, a self-fulfilling way. Now, that's not to say we shouldn't work hard to provide for our families and provide for our lives, but really work hard so we have something to give to the ministry and to the kingdom. One of the things this pandemic has done for us, it's done for me, is it has brought me again to that place where I realize how desperate I am for Jesus. Anybody else? Why? And, and Steve mentioned it earlier. Why? Because of the loss of control. The loss of control has put us in this place where we say, okay, all I really know for sure is Jesus. You can't move Jesus. You can move the cheese, but you can't move Jesus. So Jesus is the one person, the one thing in my life that I understand is solid. He's in control. So we've been denied control in this pandemic, and it's made me more dependent on Jesus. Anybody else has it made you more dependent on Jesus? You look to him more, you you pray more, you trust him more for things. I can tell you in these days, I am ever more aware of my need for Jesus. I rely on Jesus every day, all day. I rely on Jesus. I need him. It's like I need my architect, right, on this house build. I need my architect. He drew the plans. He understands the plans. He knows the dimensions of the plans, even if they're not on the plans. He knows where the wall has to go and why. The hallway is going to go here. The new powder room is going to go here. Why is it called a powder room? Is that where you keep your powder? Is that it? All you gun lovers? Is that the powder room, right? I know what it is. They should change the name, though, in my opinion. So Saturday, yesterday, I stopped by the project on Bradley Place, or sorry, Bender Place. I'm still mixed up. I stopped by the project, and my foundation guy was there. He was marking out the pour that's going to happen hopefully this week. And he said, Kurt, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. I have a question. And immediately I think, oh, no. (laughs) I'm not going to know the answer to this because he's got the plans, right? And there was one dimension on the whole pour that he wasn't sure about, but, but it would affect everything else. It was a corner. And he said, I'm not sure about this. It's, it's not on the plans, and I think I know what it is. And I said, let's call my architect, who was on vacation, but I figured, I'm paying him. You know, he can take a call, right? <laughs> if you're listening, Craig, that was for you. And because he cares, he called back. And he told us the exact dimension. And where that corner needs to be. You know, I rely on him like I rely on Jesus for every dimension of my life. And you should too, (laughs) by the way. Because Jesus knows us. He knows what we need. So, but to follow Jesus, I not only deny my self-reliance and rely on him. He also wants me to deny myself by putting others first. Now, you might want to write that down. It's a novel idea. To put others first. You can apply this to your marriage. You can apply this to your parenting children. You can apply this to your parents. Put them first. You can apply this to where you work. You can apply this to your friendships. You can apply this anywhere. 
I believe Jesus wants us to to deny ourselves by putting one another's first, like he did. And how many of you know that we fail at this and we fall at this? Because we really are, at our core, self-centered creatures. That's that's what sin has done to us. The curse of sin has made us self-centered. And so Jesus wants us to be more God-centered or more Christ-centered. But we do this by trying and we do this by failing over and over. That's the process of life. We try and fail. And through this process of trying and failing, we learn to put others first. And guess what? Relationships work better. Jobs work better. Families work better when you put each other first. And when everybody does it, it's amazing how good a family you can have. When the competition is who can put each other first the best. What a great competition that is, right? But the truth is we often fail and we realize that we need to change some things about our hearts. One of the best books I've ever read about learning and recovering from failure is a book by John Maxwell, and it's called Failing Forward. Anybody read this book? Fantastic book. It should be in your library. In this book, John says the difference between average people... How many of you, it's your goal to be average? Let me see. (laughs) How many of you... Uh, sorry, the difference between average people and achieving between average people and achieving people. Sorry, let me start over. The difference between average people and achieving people is their perception of and response to failure. In other words, it's not that you're going to get everything right. It's that when you fail at love or fail at relationship or fail in friendship, how you respond to that is what makes all the difference. Maxwell says that's the difference between You know, average people and achieving people is what you do when you fail. How you respond when you fail. Failing forward. In other words, if you notice the little things that you're doing that are selfish, you correct them. If you notice a character flaw that you have, you correct it. If you notice you're not living a certain fruit of the Spirit, you work on it. And you allow the Holy Spirit to bring that fruit into your life, and it results in a bigger and better life than you had before. So following Jesus produces a bigger and better life. Some of you might remember uh, the movie Fireproof. Anybody remember the movie Fireproof? Great movie. Years ago, I don't know how many years it's been. Somebody Google and let me know. I think it's 8 to 10 years, something like that. And in the movie, they had this thing called the Love Dare. How many did the Love Dare? Let me see. I did the Love Dare. Anybody? The love dare. So what the love dare was, 40 years in a row, or 40 years, 40 days in a row. That would be a love dare, man. 40 days in a row, choosing to love your spouse in unique ways. Like, like saying, today I'm going to do this for my spouse. Today I'm going to do that for my spouse. 40 days in a row of doing that. And the premise was that these 40 days can correct the course of a marriage because it's going to take you out of your normal patterns of selfishness and thrust you into some new patterns of being a more giving and loving person. And 40 days of this, a lot of the guys in our church did this and we graduated them from this and gave them a certificate for doing this. These 40 days can correct the course of a marriage, but not just marriage. I think you can love dare anybody in life. That friend that, you know, needs a little extra love, you know which friend I'm talking about? That child maybe that needs a little extra love or that person in your life needs a little extra love. Try the love dare. Try 40 days of saying, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that today. I'm going to send a text. I'm going to send a card. I'm going to send an email, whatever. And this can change the course 
of your relationships because you're breaking old patterns and starting new. Dallas Willard wrote a book called Life Without Lack. I'm in the middle of this book right now. Phenomenal book. He specializes in spiritual disciplines. So reading your Bible, praying, meditating on the Word. Dallas loves this sort of thing. And he says that really there's one thing that determines whether or not you will change in your life. One thing that gets in the way of really changing in your life. And that one thing is your will. My will. You see, because God has given us this thing called freedom of choice. He's given us this this freedom to make the choices of our life. And he'll influence us and he'll talk to us and he'll guide us. But at the end of the day, you decide how you're going to respond in any given situation. You have the control of your life. And God allows that. And so Willard says, the one thing you have to, to learn to deal with in your life is your will and acts of your will. And if you're in the middle of an emotional upheaval in your marriage, to choose to come to the place where you choose to still love your wife or your husband, even though, even though, and, and, and you can apply that to everything, right? So it's your ability to decide, it's your will that can block you from following Jesus. It can block you from truly becoming the person he wants you to be. You can choose to stay a believer. I'm sorry? 2008. So nine years. Thanks, Vince. So this can work in every part of your life. You can choose to stay, if, if, if I can, just a believer. Or you can choose to move into a deeper, more meaningful part of life, being a disciple and a follower. So choosing every day to be unselfish in an area of my life that could be impactful to my staff or to my wife or to my kids, to my friends. Jim Rohn is another writer, and he says, we don't have to change that much for it to make a great deal of difference. A few simple disciplines can have a major impact on how your life works out in the next 90 days, let alone in the next 12 months or the next three years. A few simple disciplines, a few 40 days of acts of your will, can thrust you in becoming more of a follower and less of a believer, more of a lover of your wife, your husband, your family, and less of a a tyrant, if that's what you are. Less selfish, at least, right? Working on a fruit of the Spirit or working on one of the one another statements that Jesus gave us. We're going to be covering those in the next series. How to people. Isn't that a great title? We're going to be covering the one another's. It's going to be awesome. You're going to learn to apply this to your life. So the point is this. Lots of people think you got to make this huge turnaround, this huge change, and that's awesome. But change really happens one small increment at a time in your life as you're aware of the character changes that need to take place. This leads me to number two in our notes today, that to be a follower, Jesus wants me to take up my cross daily. Deny myself, take up my cross. Those are the two directives that he gives us. To do, okay? To take up my cross. What does that mean to me? Let me tell you what that means to me. What it means for me to take up my cross is to come to the cross daily. I, I can't take it up if I don't come to it. If I don't spend time reminding myself. I did it this morning as I walked through this parking lot. I walked through this parking lot as I walked through the chairs. I touch every chair when I pray on Sunday mornings when we're in the building. Out here, I just walk through the parking lot. And I pray for you. And I pray for you. You know, it's like that, making the choice to walk through the parking lot. And I did it this morning. I came to Jesus. 
And I reminded myself of who he is and the fact that this is his church, not my church. And he'll do what he wants to do in every single one of us. But really every day, every day I need to consciously identify with his cross, consciously affirm the work of the cross in my life, consciously remind myself of all Jesus did on the cross for me. And when I take the time to do that, it changes the trajectory of my life, changes the course of my life for that day. But I've got to do it every day just because I'm that dim. I'm that dim. Every 24 hours, I've got to remind myself and throughout the day and identify with Jesus. Why do we do it every day? Because he's a daily God. I don't know if you figured this out. God is a daily God. In fact, his word says this. Lamentations 3.22, it says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Now catch this. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And I think what coincides with that is our need for his mercy is new every morning. I think that we kind of do a reboot every morning when we get up. And it's a great time to take up our cross, to identify with Jesus. To say, Jesus, because you did this for me, I'm going to do this for you. That's what a follower does. That's what a disciple does. Jesus, because you laid it all out for me, I'm going to work on the fruit of peace today. I realize I'm not peaceful. I'm going to work on that fruit today. True change happens one small change at a time. It happens every morning of our week as we go through life. You know, I'm friends with several pilots in our church, and they could tell you about the 1 to 60 rule. The 1 to 60 rule. The 1 to 60 rule states that if I'm just one degree off on my course as a pilot, every 60 miles I'll be a mile further away from my destination. Does that make sense? The 1 in 60 rule. If I'm one degree off in my course heading, every 60 miles I'll end up a mile further from my destination. So, for example, if I were to fly from here and I were to fly to Disneyland, the happiest place on earth... I would end up in Corona. It's a bad time to be in Corona, folks. Just the name. Or Compton. That's where I would end up. If I were one degree off flying to L.A., I would be end up in Corona, Compton. Not the happiest place on earth. That's not where I would be. So how many of you want that to happen? So what do we have to do? We've got to make course corrections. We've got to make course corrections as we fly. You can't go back and start over. You've got to make course corrections as you go. So every day I come to the cross, I say, Jesus, you're my Lord again today. I bring my life under your control again today. Help me see what needs to change in my life again today. Jesus, I got angry and frustrated with my wife yesterday. Help me change that today. Does that make sense? So you use yesterday to help make the course corrections because you realize you're a mile off where you want to be. So you come to Jesus and you say, how do I get back on course? Well, maybe you have to confess. Maybe you have to forgive. Those things help us get back on course, right? Help me see where I've been off and now help me live in the fruit of the Spirit. Help me live in joy today. I wasn't so joyful yesterday. Help me love better today. I didn't do so well loving yesterday. I got selfish yesterday. Folks, this is my life as well as yours. I have to make course corrections all the time. You see, life is about relationships, and it's how we relate that requires change. It's how we treat each other 
that requires the most change in our life. It's not about the static things of our life. It's about the organic relationships that need us to change if we want them to be successful. Love God, love people, right? Clearly. Our life in Christ is about relationships. It's saying, Jesus, tear out this wall. Jesus, put in some new wiring. (laughs) Jesus, restore and remodel my life. I want to deny myself so I can love like you, so I can lay my life down like you, so I can, get this, so I can see people like you see people. What a time in our life, folks, to see people the way that Jesus sees people. Not the way we want to see people, not our reactionary self, but the way that Jesus sees people. What a time in life to see people, to look past the mask, to look past the T-shirt, to look past the sign, and to look into the heart and to see people. Because I can guarantee you one this, this one thing, because this is what it says in the Bible, God so loved that person that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so if I'm going to be a follower, if I'm going to be a disciple, I've got to learn to see people like Jesus sees people. That doesn't mean I agree with everybody. No. It doesn't mean I have to do what everybody else is doing. No. What it means is I look past everything into the heart. And I wonder, I ask the question, God, what are you doing in that heart? You see, because God is passionate about reconciliation. That's his goal. He wants to reconcile us to him, the world to him. So, if you want to be like Jesus, you've got to see people the way Jesus sees them. Christ had such a passion for the cross, didn't he? I mean, the Catholics have done such a wonderful job of talking about the passion of the Christ. You know, Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ, I can hardly watch it. It's so painful. And, and the Catholics have really highlighted all that Jesus did on the cross and, and, and really talk about it a lot. And I think we can learn something from that. The passion of the Christ, his arrest, his trial, his suffering, and finally his death. And of course, we love the resurrection part, right? That's the part that has the power, but still there's this passion. And the word passion comes from the Latin word for suffering, patior. I'm sure I've said it wrong. Or passionem, which means suffering or enduring. And some of you are suffering for Jesus right now in this 90 degree heat, right? Well, it will be 90 degree heat. So I want to ask you this morning, what's your passion? Whereas Jesus asked you to suffer, each of us have a cross to bear. So aside from coming to the cross and aside from uh, identifying with Jesus in his cross, besides that, all of us have a cross to bear. You know, Paul had his cross. He called it a thorn. We don't know what it was. He asked for it to be removed from him. Uh, We have crosses. It might be your health. It might be your finances, it might be your family relationships, it might be your marriage, it might be what we're going through right now, this cross of pandemic. I don't know what your cross is, but everybody has a cross. And I think the point Jesus is making here is that he wants us to to not fight the cross, but to take up the cross. You see, Jesus didn't fight the cross, Jesus took up the cross. He took up the cross and he took it all the way and he did it for us. And so I want to ask you today, what's your cross? Where is it that you need God's grace? Where is it that you're saying, man, I've battled this thing for so long. Why don't I just take it up and follow Jesus and let him breathe life into it? How about that? 
How about, how about we let him resurrect something that needs to be resurrected, that needs to be put on the cross, that I need to take up to Jesus? How about that? In other words, inviting Jesus, inviting Jesus into this place of pain that we have. And remember what God told Paul, and he'll tell you the same thing. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, God shows up where we're weak. God shows up where we have a cross to bear. Some of you are like, man, my husband, he's a cross. Right? I know you're thinking it. Some of you are like, man, my wife, she's the cross in my life. You know, I mean, there's a lot of different things that can be crosses. Well, how about we let Jesus meet us at that cross as we take it up and bring it to him, you know? Carry it instead of fight it. That's what he did. That's what he wants us to do. And that brings me to number three, the last point today. That is, to follow Jesus, I really must lose my life to save my life. I really must lose my life to save my life. And again, I think it comes back to being a kingdom-first person. This doesn't even mean that you have to stop living life. That's not what we're talking about. But this is talking about becoming a kingdom-first person, a person that looks to see what God is doing and then looks to see how I can participate with what God is doing. Most of us, as humans, we focus on what we can gain in life. We focus on comfort in life. And there's nothing wrong with comfort. There's nothing wrong with having some fun. There's nothing wrong with fellowship and good food. But sometimes I think we work so hard to get the bigger and the better that we forget that the biggest and the best is the kingdom. And if we would apply what we work to get the bigger and the better and apply that to getting the bigger and the best, what could God do with that? What if we still poured the same amount of energy into what we do to get the bigger and the better, but we say, Lord, it's yours. I'm going to do this for you and for your kingdom and trust you to bless me. What if we did that? And as I look around, I see many of you who do that already. And God bless you. Thank you for being kingdom first people. So working on our bigger and better should not be the focus, but following Jesus, we focus on what we can lose so that we can save our very life. Jesus said again, verse 24, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What would it be like if I risked my life, risked my emotions for the sake of my spouse, sake of my wife, sake of my husband? What would that look like in my marriage if I became the kind of man or woman that was willing to forgive and willing to press in and willing to still be open even when I'm hurt, what would that be like? Or what about with my neighbor, you know, that crotchety neighbor, you know, that one that's hard to get along with? What would it be like? What would it be like if I put kingdom first and said, how can I love my neighbor today? So a lot of talk about losing my life, about denying myself, about taking up my cross so let me ask this question, because some of you might be thinking it. What's in it for me? All this denying, all this taking up, all this laying down and losing, what's in it for me? Well, I want to give you three things, really briefly, as I close today. Three things I picked out, and they're going to spell ESP. That'll give you a good way to remember it. You remember back in the 30s and 40s when ESP was a big thing and, and army bases were doing research to see if people could read minds and you know, that whole whole thing was happening. That was in the 30s, by the way. And it was extrasensory perception, right? Well, we Christians have the original ESP. He's called the Holy Spirit. 
And he tells us things that we could never know if he didn't tell us. He speaks into our lives. So just remember it that way. What's the E? What's in it for me? Well, the E is eternal significance. The E is eternal significance. Here's the truth about life. Life has no significance unless what you're doing somehow translates into becoming eternal. For it to really matter, it's got to become eternal. Like love is eternal, right? Sacrifice is eternal. Um, Helping others, serving others is eternal. If we just read our Bible, we'll find out what eternal is. But the truth about life is that my life has no significance outside of it making it into eternity. My own soul, how I love God, how I respond to Him, how I love the people in my family, how how I love the people in my life, loving them like Christ loved me. This is eternal significance. Start small. Start with your family, you know? And again, I know so many of you are there already. It's just an affirmation for you this morning. But accomplishments and comfort, as nice as they are, are not going to go to heaven with me. I like AC like the rest of you. But it ain't going with me. That doesn't mean I'm not going to have it in my next house. I am. (laughs) So I like it. You know, but how can I think kingdom first? Only what comes out of my love for God and my Christ-like love for others. That's why Jesus said, love God, love people. This is what has eternal significance. Secondly, what's in it for me is the S of ESP, sovereign assurance. I mentioned this to you last time I preached. There's nothing like knowing God is in control. In this time of life where everything feels out of our control, there's nothing like knowing. There's nothing like the peace that comes when you relinquish your life to Him to guide you. And in return, you realize He's in control of your life. Even when bad things happen, it's, it's nice to know that God knew about it and allowed it. That tells me that He is in it and He's going to help me win it. So secondly, sovereign assurance, knowing that... When I'm losing my life for Him, when I'm denying myself for Him, when I'm aligned with Him, He is sovereign over my life. And He will help me in whatever I face. Number three, the last thing this morning, and I'd love it if the band could come up and uh, lead us in worship one more song. Here's number three. Here's the P of ESP. A purposeful life. How many of you, if you're honest, would say to me, Pastor Kurt, I want purpose in my life. I really do. I want to know I have purpose. I want to know God's using me for something. I want to know I'm making a difference. When you become a a kingdom first person or a follower, disciple of Jesus, then I will say to you, your life becomes more purposeful because you begin to partner with him in what he wants you to do. And the big picture of that, the big architect plans for that is the ministry of reconciliation. You become a reconciler. Jesus gave you that partnership to help draw people to Christ just by how you love them, by how how you treat them, by how you care for them. But honoring God with your passion. I want to come back to that question I asked you earlier. What's your passion? What are you passionate about that you could honor God with? What is it that you love to think about and love to do? What is it that you read in the news, that you look for, for news about? What are you passionate about? Honoring God with that passion. One of my favorite stories is, of course, Eric Little, right? The great runner from Chariots of Fire. And you've probably heard this quote a hundred times, but it fits so well. 
Eric said, I believe that God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Eric was made to run. He felt God's pressure when he, uh, pleasure when he ran. What is it that you're passionate about? What is it that you could say, okay, God, as I do this for you, as I run for you, you're going to use it for your kingdom. I'm going to bring pleasure to you. That's my motivation. And that is really what it comes down to. I want to say this to you today. Running for God's pleasure, not just my own. I think if I could sum it up in one sentence, it would be that. That I, as a kingdom first person, would run for God's pleasure, not just my own. See, I believe that God wants you to do what he's gifted you to do. Your careers, the things that you love to do. I I think God wants you to do those things. He made you that way. But he wants your motivation to be not just for you, but for him as well. So dying to my own selfish motives so that I can live for his glory. And I believe personally at the bottom of my heart that it's something we've always done. But now we're doing it from a heart of gratefulness, a heart of love, doing it for him, not just for me. Would you bow your heads and pray with me today? Lord Jesus, today we acknowledge your cross. We acknowledge the intersection of our life. We acknowledge that day that you went in your passion and you laid it all down for me, for us. And once again, we come to this place, Jesus, where we say, Lord, where would we be without you? And if that's true, then then what can we give you? What can we give you that would be meaningful? that would be purposeful, that would make a difference in the eternity of someone, even our own. Lord, what could we do for you? So God, for each of us here today, I just pray for that openness. I know many of us are on this journey. We've been on it a long time. We've been, we've been doing the things that you've called us to do. Our motivation has been what you want it to be. So Lord, we affirm each other in that. But God, for those that are kind of stuck at at being a believer, not that that's a bad thing, it's an awesome thing, but you are calling to follow. Lord, I just pray for us to become open to hear you, to follow you, to go with you into those places that maybe we wouldn't have gone before, to love like we haven't loved before, to forgive how we haven't forgiven before that we would become a kingdom first person. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.